1: Welcome to Foundation and Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Foundation on Apple TV+. This episode, we're considering feedback for Season 1, Episode 6, Death and the Maiden. Respect and enjoy the podcast. All right, Aaron, we have feedback, or so I hear.
0: Yeah, also, I, I kind of want to start uh, debuting a feature that where uh, we're to kind of discuss some of the stuff that's come up on the official podcast, because that's a fascinating project in its own right. Uh I don't have a name for this. We need a name for it like uh Gabin with Goyer, Goyer Corner. Sure. The that- Concepcion inception <laughs> 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 after after Jason's role in it. I don't know. I don't know, but I here here's the things I thought uh, were interesting coming out of the podcast. If you have any uh, feel free to join in, but uh there's a really fascinating tidbit from David's early life where he talks about being a 10-year-old in uh some sort of uh, Jewish school system and talking with the rabbi, there's like an opportunity to talk about life on other planets. And he started, you know, propounding the, the rabbi with questions about like, well, suppose there's a planet, you know, and it's, it's uh, populated by intelligent octopi octopuses uh, Would with those, with those uh, octopus people practice Judaism uh, and this like, fat, and I remember it reminded me of like, uh, did you ever have any uh, debates with the cooler elders in our congregation about extraterrestrial life? Do Do you remember the? No, no, a lot of um, a lot of debates about uh, God and and the limitations of it. But sure, no, none of those. I had the uh, I I had one elder that said something that I remember I, it's it stuck with me. That's like, uh, well, okay. If there was intelligent life elsewhere in a the galaxy, then God obviously created it, right? Of course. Uh, and it would probably be perfect. Mm-hmm. And uh, unless, unless they had, they, it, it turned into like a debate about whether that planet would also have a Satan that would have tempted them and fall or whether there's like a celestial kind of group of like still perfect creation other on other planets is watching us on earth. Fucking it was, it's like, but I, I remember thinking about that, uh, the intersection between kind of like science fiction and religion. Uh, yeah. and, uh, I thought it was cool because because also David revealed he, he grew up in a kind of divided, you know, his dad, I think was, was, was Catholic and his mom was Jewish or hmm. maybe vice versa. So mm-hmm. I always find, people of those like borderlands or people that have like had a like a lot of significant spiritual growth or questioning questioning they do really good with these kind of storylines so yeah maybe that explains it uh, he also went in he had this interesting comment about the life cycle he called it of the clones and their relationship with Demerzel that they start off in dawn you know that they experience Demerzel as this mommy and nanny and teacher figure And then when they become day, she turns into the right hand woman. He implied that they—it's not atypical for the days to have sexual relationship with Demerzel to to consummate uh, this this kind of royal consort type of deal. Which Mm -hmm. I that that blew my mind. Uh, But they also into
1: the show. We'll see.
0: Yeah, if he's talking about if he's implying and I feel like there's going to be some creepy scenes, uh some creepy Game, <laughs> Game of Thrones type scenes where it feels incestual. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um even though strictly speaking it it's not. Uh day he also says that day starts to grow resentful at this period uh because he starts feeling his, you know, own mortality and and also realizing the limitations of who he is as an individual. Like Demerzel is always there to remind him of like you know you don't matter as much as the empire matters and you always have to kind of keep that stuff in mind and that's he chafes against that but then as they evolve in the dusk they fall in love with Demerzel like in a like in a deep compatible way and uh Hmm. truly starts to appreciate her role that they play in their life just as she's there to usher them off into darkness so I thought that's interesting things to look for (laughs) sure i'm I'm looking forward to seeing some of that stuff on screen
1: uh i will say also that that's how it's been for the last what 14
0: generations who knows how it's going to be going forward that's true the colorblind stuff's throwing everything into into uh question Mm -hmm. uh he also the inspiration for the commander figure that survives a wreck of the jump ship uh their their pod was was uh inspired by Donald Pleasant's uh, escape uh, from his uh, plane wreck and the, uh, the movie escape from New York. Okay. I have not seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a, you know, interesting John Carpenter film. You haven't seen it, but I thought that was pretty funny that they were like sweating like, well, how are they going to have this guy? And he's like, ah, oh, it's easy. Donald Pleasant's escape from New York. <laughs> Just pop him in a, pop him in a capsule and shoot him out. Um, Jason uh the 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 main host I guess the moderator of the podcast uh asked him a question about luminism cuz he says is you know we've seen one religious movement in this galaxy on Synax be violently anti-technology and you know anti-intellectualism and he asked if we're supposed to like kind of see that commonality in the religion he said no luminism is actually embracing technology they have starships of their own um, but it's just like you're seeing them at their the the core they're like this is like the holy land uh gotcha. like you'd have you know so like this is the salt palace and like they they restrict kind of like you have to put your put your cell phones in boxes he said like you know when when you go to pay pay homage to or make a pilgrimage here yeah so that explains why you know they got they, it's not just three trillion followers but they also probably have commiserate military industrial and economic might to go along with that too they're not they're not backwaters, huh? Interesting. Um, I guess I hadn't considered that they would have
1: military might of any kind.
0: We did uh, Those are my words. I'm just saying okay. that, like, the implication: if they have in technology, then you know, like, even if the empire is a monopoly on force, that's probably something that's like a legal thing rather than like, oh shit, we just can't figure out how to make guns kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, he also said that uh, Jason was talking about with him about the spacers, the weird engineered humans that kind of like babysit everybody in hyperspace. And he said they experience hyperspace as a cross between a religious experience and like an MDMA trip. Okay. So I don't know how a normal human would experience, but that's how he described the spacers and the other one. uh, So I was taken with his suggestion that the vault was like uh, this, uh, Borges uh novel or this uh, short story the the Library of Babel Babel. And I completely forgot that all the podcast up to this every time Jason asked him what's in the vault he gives some kind of ass, uh cr- crazy answer to it. So he gave the one the one kind of like straight up oh here's a serious literary reference and I just ran with it and mm-hmm. then this episode he asked him again what's the vault and I go like, what that's interesting and he goes oh it's it's the uh, ice cave from the Sasquatch episode of Six Million Dollar Man, and I'm like, oh, fuck. Have I literally checked out <laughs> oh, that, a... That's argin- interesting.
1: Hmm. hmm. <laughs>
0: yeah, I mean, you know, so does that mean it can? it's the duality of man? You know, you've got one that's a cyborg. He's fused with, like, six right? million dollars of technology, but Sasquatch, that's, like, aboriginal man, almost. Like, free of any kind of uh, te- technology or uh, yeah. So, is one of the spacers in there? They're about six million dollars worth of modifications, right? At, at least, at <laughs> least, and they're just having an MDMA rave, apparently. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I feel um, maybe, maybe he's hiding one serious answer in uh, all of the 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 chaff that he he's firing in response to Jason's insistent question of what's in what's what's in the vault um or maybe not uh, i mean that one's such a cool concept though that library it is such a cool concept and I, it's also telling because I, I don't know if this came up like in our actual interview or if this was in the before or after phase of it but he seemed to take it in, he seemed to take it kind of semi-serious when we were like you know bringing it up in conversations and so maybe that is or maybe he's this is hilarious to him that you know, we're these podcasters and we haven't gotten the the, the joke of their of their <laughs> podcast six episodes in. So
1: I could, could, could go either
0: way. Could go either. All I, I know is I found the one English translation of this Argentinian. Oh, uh, did you? Uh Yeah. It's, there's there's one copy floating around the Cincinnati library system and I and I've got it. Oh, as of last Well, night. I guess I can't so, read it.
1: I did. Yeah. I was looking around on the Internet um to try and find some stuff about Library of Babel. And I found library of is a website that is exactly this it's exactly the library of babel with the hexagonal Ooh. rooms and all the shelves and all the random text. it doesn't have like a full compilation of every text that is possible in that yet i guess they're working on that mm. although i don't know what that means because it's just an algorithm to generate all that so it should be pretty much instant if you have the computing power
0: interesting uh, but
1: yeah you can go there and just hit like a random book and it'll Ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time, give you just a bunch of garbage. Um, but then you can like search for specific phrases, and it, it's a really cool website. Librarybabel. Wow,
0: that is that is interesting. Um, uh, the other thing I I want before we move off the uh, the Goyer corner is uh, one of the things we've mentioned in the. Before we before we officially started a podcast, you know, he just kind of hopped on and we were kind of bullshitting back and forth for a couple of minutes. And uh, we talked about um, some of the, you know, the covid impact of, of, of foundation. This is also something he yeah. mentioned. He did a Reddit AMA the week before we sat down with him to talk. And I I, I pulled some information from that stuff. But it seems like a lot of the problems. That we've had with this show in terms of like oh man those anacreon's stuff that, that initial charge into Terminus was kind of lame uh, not sure of some of the the storytelling and editing that went into some of that uh, you know Clark Peter stuff the some of the Terminus stuff from this episode maybe that was a little shaky um, it seems that there were some big problems with like COVID impacting like that they really wanted a much larger battle sequence but uh, the day they shot the uh, Terminus side, the devastation side, uh, they were un- they were um, going under limitations of how many people they could have on the set. So they just couldn't have that. Those those big crowds. Mm-hmm. Um, Also, that like Clark Peters, um, you know, there's like there's a whole lot of inside ball in between, like, who's a main series regular? Who is an also appearing? How many episodes you get them for? You know, like you get them for five episodes, six episodes. And I guess Clark Peters, they only had him, you know, because they can't afford to pay everyone as main cast members. Very few shows can that um, uh, that was an impact because when they had to shut down for COVID, uh, I guess his contract allowed him to find other work, which he did, which then got caused him a lot of filming problems trying to get him back to finish that story arc. So they kind of like stitched it together as best they could. But but uh I don't know. Like I said, you, it, this is uh, you guys got to keep in mind. This is a showrunner that's you know talking about his own work and you know wanting to put the best face forward. But I kind of am inclined to uh, this. It makes a lot of sense, I guess, what I'm saying. Like I feel like um, that feels like a reasonable explanation for why sometimes there's like stuff where the show nails and then other things they kind of stumble with. It's like there are limitations they face with the season now. Going forward, uh, you know. We asked him, like, oh, a well, probably smooth sailing for like season two. You guys mm-hmm. are probably no longer doing all the zoom coordination. He's like, no, that they're still, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, Hollywood probably takes the above the especially the above the line folks, uh, pretty seriously. You know, if you end up getting Lee Pace killed from some kind of mitocardial fucking swelling or fat fraction or whatever related to COVID, uh, there's probably some big money involved there. So it seems like Hollywood's is very cautious about Re- releasing some of these restrictions also um, a lot of it is just getting people across borders they're filming in different countries and you know getting, getting everybody uh, through customs and stuff during this time is also challenging so uh, I, I guess the big point is if you're loving the show it seems like each season we get a little bit further into the, you know either living with the pandemic or getting, getting post pandemic That stuff should get stronger, and if you like the show, except for you you have a problem with a couple of scenes here and there, then you probably really like it going forward, because uh, whether they're going to get workarounds to that or just, you know, be free of the restrictions, it seems like that did, unfortunately, impact some of the storytelling, so... Take that for what you will. Anyway, if, if uh, you would like to hear more from David Gordon, you don't want to wait till the end of the season. Uh, we did have a couple things that hit the cutting room floor. Like I said, those uh, the beginning conversation. We talk a little bit about the success of Dune and its budget versus uh, Foundation's budget, and some more of that COVID restriction inside stuff. Um, and we cut had to cut a couple questions too. Uh, if you want to hear all that stuff, there's probably ten, maybe fifteen minutes of that. Uh, we're gonna post it to uh, our premium feeds.
1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
0: All right. Well, that's it for the uh, conception inception. Uh, we are going to move on to the feedback from you fine folks. Uh, foundation at baldmove.com is how you send in feedback each week. And we will try to answer it. I also adapted a couple of uh, uh, the Goyer questions we couldn't get to that I thought maybe we could field. Um, so I, I also did a little bit of that, too. But this is uh, largely yeah. feedback from 106, Death and the Maiden. First up is Devon. So am I the only one who found Hardin's visions of the Imperial Library and the boy outside the vault just to be plain silly? Furthermore, when I read the book a, for, uh, a few years ago, I walked away with the understanding that if someone understands psychohistory, it changes their decision-making process and therefore throws off psychohistory's predictions. I assume this is also in the show, and that's probably why Raish killed Harry. The Vault is sending uh some sort of visions to Harden. Doesn't that undercut the same basic idea? Um, so let's talk about the <laughs> Harden visions at Imperial Library. Is it plain silly? Um I, I guess why I don't see it as plain silly. I mean it's a science yeah. fiction concept, uh telekinesis and and telepathy and empathy and all that stuff are long baked in, like whether you're talking about Jedi Knights or Vulcans with the mind melds, like having humanity continue to evolve some sort of mental powers mm-hmm. is part of part, part of the deep DNA of the series, or at least the, the
1: genre. Sure. And I don't know what the mechanism for it is yet. Right. They haven't told us is this some innate ability she has because of her uh birth or is this some kind of like vault-infused technology sort of thing? We don't we don't know anything about it other than it's a power that she seems to have. So I'm I'm waiting to reserve judgment. If this is like oh and she got this power from talking to the wood elves, uh maybe I won't be so excited about it, but I seriously doubt that's the case.
0: And also, like, sometimes, uh, with science fiction, you want to know the answers too bad, and you wind up with Midachlorians. Aren't you sure. glad to know that the force is generated by Midachlorians? Isn't <laughs> that feel much more satisfying than the mystical monk answers we got in the, the previous movies? I know I love my Midachlorians. I, so, like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, like, that's that's the tension in world building. Like, you want to, feel like the world's real but you know what's cool about the real world there's always things that you can know and, and uncover sure. and if everything like it it stops feeling real if you know the details about everything right so there's got to be some things to discover uncover learn um but you know your other point about psychohistory history that's my understanding too that like People, it's it's just two parts of it that, like, if enough of the population is aware of the fact that they're in some kind of equation, that the knowledge that they're being observed can like fucking taint the results. And also, yeah, people, mm. uh, more people to understand psychohistory um, and can run equations and stuff. Also, somehow can can screw up. But it's essentially something being aware of its being observation. It's like you know, if someone says, "Hey, just act natural," how fucking natural can you possibly act? Versus sure. someone in like like a cloaking device filming you, literally being natural, not knowing that you're being recorded. Those that's the difference there. So yeah, it's some like weird perverted Schrodinger's cat sort of thing, right?
1: Where yeah. Once the observer knows they're being observed, they can change the ob the outcome of the observation. Yeah, it's yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I didn't get that from reading the first book, so I wonder if that's in. Subsequent books, I I never yeah. There's just I, I never understood that there was much of an opportunity to change things just by knowing that psychohistory is a thing. I I understand like Harry can change things because he intimately understands psychohistory. I think um, that
0: might be a related concept. It's not just that the population at large is you know no, but it's also the more people that understand it. And this is something that I think that is continuing to be a fundamental and misunderstanding of the audience. Um, you cannot predict individual's behavior but you can use an individual to nudge a variable like mm-hmm. you know Harry can't predict what the emperor is going to do but he can have himself killed apparently by one of his acolytes and plug that result the founder of psychohistory being murdered by his disciple and that input can be correctly modeled as to how the the galaxy at large will react to those news you know people that I've started to believe in psychohistory, history, people who are, you know, like, so I, that's the thing. It's like you can't predict individual behavior, but you can take individuals and tell them to do things that will alter the variables of, of how the board is set for psychohistory. history. And I, I to me that, that that's I, that's very bright white line separating those two predicting individual's yeah 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 and And, and having individuals act you know all acts small and large are
1: individual acts you know like yes you have a lot of people who can carry out those acts like let's say going to war but ultimately the decision comes down to a person right and so right you know that the larger effects are always always um well i don't want to say tainted but always a result of individual actions
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's the thing you always got to keep in mind: the difference between that um, and uh, you know, the individual actions versus individuals acting of their own accord with the understanding of psychohistory, or under the direction of someone in psychohistory to alter how the universe is is behaving. It also seems like just as a a, a principle, people are probably more rea- uh, predictable when they're being. Um, given strong stimulus, like I don't know what Jim would do, but I probably know what Jim would do if a uh, tack were to stick him in the ass right now, right? He'd jump out of his seat and go, ow, right? <laughs> so, like, sometimes when you're, you know, like, like, uh, it's uh, that's like why battlefield initiative is so important. You'd rather be fucking up shit and the other person, like, oh my God, I can't believe my shit's being fucked up. I have to react to it rather than, than just sitting there, maybe planning to fuck your shit up. So, I, I think there's a little bit of that in the psycho history too
1: you know now that i'm thinking about it um it more and more nowadays individual actions aren't as important right um we're in an age of social media we're in an age of like distributed communication and and uh all of our logistics networks are just so intertwined where sure. like individual actions like if if i were to get on social media on on let's say facebook twitter whatever uh whatsapp and start posting That's not going to make much of a difference. But if a million people get on WhatsApp and start posting about things, that Mm -hmm. can change the course of history. Uh, I I wonder if they're going to play with any of those concepts, because so far, you know, in this future world they've created, there is nothing like that, as best I can tell. It is driven by the acts of individuals. Um, Yeah. But that is certainly in our real world changing very rapidly. I wonder if that's going to come into the show.
0: Yeah. I mean, even democracy itself essentially boils us down into big aggregates of either majority or minority. Right. And the majority, you know, like Mm -hmm. all the people comprised in the majority probably don't agree on much, but like we're treated as if we do for the sake of how government's going to go for the next two to four to six years. So, yeah, somewhat. uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Let's move on to Michael says I read the foundation series as a young man and spent my career putting it into action. Uh, for more than 20 years, I have worked in digital marketing. We use as much data as we can consume to create behavior models. We got a, a budding psychohistorian historian mm. here. Yeah. The science only works on masses of people. No marketing campaign targets individuals or small groups. I've used this also in consumer finance. We create messages that cause small shifts in buying behavior in large groups. I cannot make any one person buy anything, but I can goose sales by a percentage or two. I have friends who carve small basis points of investment performance based on enormous unstructured data feeds. They can't call individual stocks, but are accurate on overall markets or large sectors, especially in high speed markets like derivatives. In politics, the game is to shift a few percentage points in target demographics. The Lincoln Project brags that they carved away a few percentage points from the suburban Republican base, especially women, in the 2020 election, which helped defeat Donald Trump. They make no pretense of influencing individual voters. The big attention attractors like Facebook and YouTube use the same playbook to maximize the time users spend on their platform while monetizing their insights to sell attractive targets to their customers, which are the advertisers. Once again, this only works on large groups. What Asimov predicted 80 years ago is what we do as routine today. Uh, I mean, yeah. And I, I feel like there's, there's especially, it feels like in the last 10 years, people are starting to be a little more hairy Seldenish, ish. Like, not just taking insights about a community but then taking that the feedback into the mechanism to get other insights like you know how there's you know across the world there is manipulation election manipulation um, there is people pushing false agendas fake news all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. I, I guess the only question is like as everyone starts to do it does it kind of like cancel each other out as like you know I, I, I don't know, um, right. because it does. It does sound like some pretty spooky. that someone alluded to in the the interview with David Goyer this uh, article about this pine beetle ecologist that has gone on to study human ecology and and you know he got big waves by saying you know if he's been saying for like the last five or six years that you know there's a model that leads to unrest building and it's going to peak in 2020 with chaos and you know of course 2020 had a lot of chaos and. And systematic failures, so he's he's kind of riding high. But like, yeah, I mean, there is a lot of scary parallels here. Sure. No, I
1: I look at data aggregation sort of as a pyramid, and like get all this data out there that's just raw data at the very bottom, and then as you start to analyze it and put it all together to form a shape, it sort of forms this pyramid where like one predictive engine can be right at the top, right, and it's the best predictive engine we have. Well, now if you suddenly have 600 other predictive engines doing the same thing, maybe getting slightly different results with different variables. Then you could start to aggregate the data generated by those predictive engines into a higher level, like new top of the pyramid sort of thing. And yeah. that can almost seemingly go on forever. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting concept and we are you know, in the age, the computer age where This stuff is just going to start like computer computing power enable this sort of collection of data and 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 sifting through it and understanding of it. We are just at the beginning of that. I mean, artificial intelligence is going to blow that door wide open and it's already starting to. That's why you're seeing all this stuff. But we are just barely, barely starting uh, to get our heads around that.
0: Yeah, a lot of this like it reminds me of like uh, some of the research like Joe Overton did. If you've heard of the Overton window, like it's mm-hmm. a way to both quant—you can use it to both quantify like where a population stands polit- politically on different uh, uh, issues, but you can also if, if you take it one step further and then like, well, how can I nudge the Overton window to make a policy more palatable? Like right now, it's very unpopular for whatever reason because people see it as a radical idea. Well, how can I get it to accept it as? you know incrementally to be you know go from the unthinkable to the thinkable um and they've you know been working on this for people have been working on this for 30 plus years and now you're really starting to bear you know bring like jim's was talking about that you know big big analytical data guns behind it yeah. uh really really modeling stuff and it, it's interesting because like I to me like I said it's like I don't know whether this stuff works. I mean people clearly believe it it works and I know it does work like you know this guy's talking about like when you're talking about percentage points of things. Um but like does it like if everyone starts doing it all the time do those percentage effects start canceling out or do you start looking you know just just sift the data ever ever finer to find the the parts of the system that are still not being kind of monkeyed with or you know can can you monkey with everything all the time or like as is, is there like the eye of Sauron where like it's like you know it's looking at Frodo but then you know here comes Aragorn up to the gates and shh, the eye is torn away and it can look at Aragorn like or is it like we're just like it can see everything all the time uh it, it. It makes me we're wonder living how, in a point of history where we find out if it's all if whether it works, it's true or bullshit or what. It's exciting. Uh, yeah, <laughs> exciting.
1: That's how I describe it. I, I do wonder if the prequels go into any of the stuff about how Harry Seldon s- got psycho history into the consciousness of so many people, um, because mm. you know, without a social media network, without like easy access to distribution of information, you would think that people with the the levers of power and the the money to influence people would be the people who could actually take advantage of a psychohistory-esque predictive model so i don't know i'm I'm super curious to get to those those prequel novels to see if they deal with that because it seems like a, a grassroots sort of movement that he's got going but boy how did he get that done
0: Yeah, like what kind of, or because we don't get an opportunity to see, like, how the people we're talking about the masses, the 8 trillion people, how they, because we're so far, we've been looking at the very tippy top of even, you know, people in Trantor are living a completely different life than other parts of the galaxy. We've seen, you know, the seat of a religious power that holds sway over 3 trillion people, and we've seen the backwaters of Anacreon and uh, Terminus that, you know, barely had their scrapping over nothing, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, yeah what does what does TV and and <laughs> pop culture and advertisement yeah. look like in the foundation world? We haven't seen that because none of the people that we have gotten to know can, are, are part of that consumption culture. so uh Daniel had a question for David Goyer that i I've adapted into for our own purposes. We of course, are not David S. Goyer, but uh, we'll we'll see what we can do. He says, one crucial detail in the world building and the foundation is bothering me because of its lack of plausibility, because the way that it plays doesn't track with how I see the real world tracking. Brothers Dawn, Day and Dusk are all playing their part in a generations long system of succession in which the will of the individual clone is made subservient to the greater whole. If you watched anything like The Crown, you've seen a good depiction of how our inherent individualism will chafe at the constraints of that kind of dynasty. Not everybody chooses to play their part. Rebellion and pushback are inevitable. In this case, however, we're dealing with literal copies of Cleon the First. Cleon the First was someone with an extraordinary force of will and a thirst for power to the extent that he subjugated an entire galaxy. This personality is not a worker bees personality. He's not a team player. Everything in him drives him to seize control and dominate. Sociologists are in agreement that nurture is far less significant than nature. Ah, uh, I don't know. People's genes are the significant drivers of their personalities, choices, and preferences. For this reason, I find it totally unbelievable. that clones of a man with the conquering nature of an Alexander the Great or Genghis Genghis Khan would go huh. along with the dynastic system that is depicted in show. I don't think that system would last a single generation. The very first clone would balk at having his individual individuality watered down and given a name that reflects a particular part of the process, let alone gets walked to their own incineration. What do you make of this The idea that like Klingon Cleon is such a fucking Chad that he's never going to do the virgin move of just walking off into disintegration chamber uh, at the behest of some robot woman? I mean, he's the original one didn't. Um, So
1: there's that now. There's that. I there are a lot of assumptions being made here. Uh. I I don't know what articles you've read. And I certainly haven't read very many about nature versus nurture. You're You're taking it on as a fact here that uh, nature is much more important. And I I don't know if that's true. I'm I'm no expert, though. Um, So I'll say I don't know on that. Uh, I'm pretty sure Cleon is not the first emperor. Yes. No, this is a. the empire was created by Cleon. He might not be the Chad you think he is. He might just be a dude who was born into an already powerful dynasty and didn't have any, uh, you know, visions of grandeur beyond creating a star bridge. So I he doesn't have
0: to be like the Genghis Khan type. That's true. He is. This is a 400 year tip of the pinky on a 12,000 year imperium right uh, it's just this has been i guess an unprecedented te- uh, uh area of prosperity and peace because they implied there's a lot of squabbling over succession you know and like just having all that you know figured out where you can peacefully transfer power from system to system i mean that's one of the that's one of the successes of of western style democracies as we kind of like figure out how to do that to the extent that everyone goes along with it so yeah
1: and i guess uh, the question is like ultimately look this is part of the setup right this is you're either going to go along with the setup of this university as it exists and see what they have to say about that or you're not going to be on board just because you know you don't think that this world could ever actually exist which i don't think that the lord of the rings world could ever actually exist but i still watch the movies and enjoyed them so yeah i I don't know i just Yeah, let's just go with with the setup here and see if they have anything interesting to say about it as we progress.
0: Because that's a good that's a damn good point, because Lord of the Rings world essentially says Aragorn should be king because he's just got better blood, y'all. He's just a better (laughs) dude. He's from better stock, from more descendant from the pure blood that was blessed by Eru, the creator himself. You know, I'm like. I don't I mean, believe any of that shit. I believe you know? that world could like, exist. I believe that world did exist for a long time. Yeah. But yeah. Like also, that was, that was the way a lot of tyrants pulled the the wool over people's eyes and kept mm-hmm. them down. But yeah, I don't know. And also about like, I'm not a sociologist myself, but I, it's my understanding that like, um, what, what sociologists say now is like nature and nurture are so intertwined that to try to study on anything in, uh, isolation, when it comes to something as complex as human society is is like, you know, uh, almost fruitless. Like, you can't. I mean, so what it's do you like need? It's not-
1: Identical twins to start? Did, as I as mean, once we start cloning, I think studies, we can yeah. do some really like fucked up
0: unethical shit. Unethical yeah. stuff
1: That would get us
0: there, but I don't know if we're so going to let it. Devise some experience that would make Nazi Germany and Imperial Japan it blush. Goodness, right? We're going to get so fucked up with these clone twins. Yeah. I, and, and the other thing is like, as you say, like, is this working because it does seem like, you know, one, one of the, the, that, that beetle soci the, the beetle sociologist, ecologist uh, that we've alluded to twice now in a podcast. One of his big theories is that uh political unrest comes from when the elite class in the society uh, gets bored with not enough to do. And there's too many of them. So they can't distinguish themselves. Uh, like if, uh, if an empire I just has so many show
1: about this, yeah
0: so many princes that none of them not all of them can have castles and important titles and they start you know getting bored and have delusions of grandeur and start shitting in the system instead of shitting out you have a big problem and that's what he's predicting he's like that you know we have so emphasized getting college degrees and bettering ourselves and you know having a certain amount of wealth and power that not everyone can possibly have in a society so now we've got people with college degrees that think they should get 100k and and they can only get an entry level job. And that, that that's going to inevitably cause the system to clap. Like I said, I, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I feel like human society is more complicated than Beatles. So I don't know if this is all necessarily true, but you know, I think that going back to this email, like it could be the thesis of the show that this isn't working. Yes. It's worked for 400 years. With an immortal android that is molding these people into a shape, with the expectations of eight trillion people on them to fit a particular mold, and they are chafing, and it is breaking. This is like a very yeah, unnatural sure. system. But it can, with a, the, the full might of an empire behind it, they can keep banging these guys into the proper shape. So, yeah, like I so said, I, I the think that's premise
1: here is is. That yeah, these, these clones have existed and they're the same. The breaking
0: of the mold here is happening in, before our eyes, right? Right. That's how I see it anyway. So, uh, Kristen's in uh, Missive says, I just had to shout out Terrence Mann, who plays Brother Dusk. His voice nearly perfectly matches that of Lee Pace's, and his performance through the first five episodes has been awesome. Yeah. I don't know if either of you realize this, but Terrence Mann is a Broadway veteran of countless musicals, and by way of example, if you've ever listened to the original soundtrack of "Lay Mis or Beauty and the Beast, Terrence Mann is original Javier and the Beast respectfully I had no idea that of course I've listened to Delay Les Mis soundtrack many 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 times I had no idea that uh, this is Javier uh, never listened to either of those of course maybe of course. this is why I find his voice performance matching Lee so intriguing he also follows Jonathan Price's High Sparrow from the Game of Thrones as a musical stage actor landing in the realm of high, sci-fi high fantasy of course, Jonathan Price, uh, famous for being General Perone in the, uh, at least the, the movie make of uh, Evita, the movie version of Evita with Madonna. Hmm. Um, that's interesting. Yeah, I uh, I feel like for these type of roles, which are big and larger than life, you can't hardly beat someone with stage play experience because... Sure. That's the opposite of the method style of acting. That's acting big. That's projecting on a huge scale, uh, on a huge stage uh, to the people in the back, the back seats. And that's kind of what the emperor is all about. You have to take a stage and project yourself from Trantor to the ends of the known universe. Um, it makes a lot of sense that these guys with these presences fit, fit these things like peas in a pod. J.J. Uh, Johnson has a simple explanation for Salvor's ability to guess the outcome of the coin toss. We all believe that she's the biological daughter of Gail. I don't know if we all do, but it's, it's looking that way. Just before Gail jumped through the first wormhole in episode one, her traveling companion pointed out that you had to remain asleep or your body and mind would get unsynced. He's then taking that and assuming that this out of sync body and mind can get passed on genetically. So Salver's consciousness is essentially a couple of seconds ahead of her. The reality, her body and mind is experiencing when she flips a coin. She intuitively knows the outcome before it's flipped. Uh, unfortunately, his analysis is this is only slightly, slightly useful because she can only foretell a couple of seconds ahead of real time. Per, could make you good at party tricks or a better fighter, but that's about it. Do you agree with JJ Johnson's analysis here?
1: Um, I might, I might be able to, That seems like a plausible, uh, I don't know, theory to tack on to the already
0: not quite proven theory that we've got. Yeah. The only challenge I have to it is how does it explain uh, Salver's ability to divine the truth of what's going on in Farrah's mental state and her past? It seems like Mm -hmm. she was pretty accurate at telling exactly, I mean... Maybe she's seeing the past through someone else's eyes, like the vision she has of Raish. That's still not just a displaced mind and, and body. No. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe I mean, it, it could be
1: if you're unstuck from time, maybe. Yeah. But, but, but you're like also it's, it's unstuck but then you're, from your physical. Fo-
0: yeah. A lot of questions. But I, I guess then you're talking about more than just a few seconds of of being unstuck, too. Yeah. But. Um, it is like I said, it 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 is possible. Uh, I just don't know how it fits in with it. I mean, the, I we even said this uh, in our coverage of the show. It, she could be just cold reading, like mm-hmm. you know, one of those uh, uh, psychics that talks to dead people, right? You know, it's like, oh, I'm getting a, an uncle. Oh, uh, I had an aunt that died. I, I, I'm an aunt. I'm, I, it's a definite feminine energy, and her name was. Uh, uh, Gladys, her her name was Irene. Yes, that's that's close to the the G in the alphabet. Uh, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's like they could just be doing that because everyone knows about what happened in Anacreon's, and she is the first huntress, so she's real high up in that society. So she probably was at the forefront of destruction, and also at the loss. Of pre- so yeah, but why would the show be playing that tricksy with us? I think the bed the 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 plain reading is she's got some precognition. Uh, we don't know how strong, how accurate. So We don't know the source of it, so I think it's it's fair to speculate, but I just don't know. Feels like we're getting closer and closer to these types of answers, though. Yeah. Feels like the show just keeps on spiraling in towards some version of the truth of you know the the Sasquatch ice cave nature of the vault <laughs> and all that. So, uh, let's move on to Arcade Shenanigans. It says, I just want to drop this as a point of appreciation for Foundation this week and its great use of tension. The scene in which Brother Day's ship entered the atmosphere and landed uh, on the uh, the Maiden, the choice of ship speed and lingering on that landing process, I couldn't help but feel that it's a trap-type tension after seeing the relative ease in which the Anacreons destroyed a seemingly identical ship in the previous episode. It's a great way to build the initial shared distress between the Emperor and the viewer with Halima. Also, having been pulled into a few cross-cultural ceremonies from Religion's Rise and Outsider, I really appreciated the don't bow. Great. Now I'm the only one standing. I better own it moment with day later in this episode. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that too. I've uh, been a couple of times like, you know, when I was, when I left my own religion and I was like, am I going to be religious or spiritual? Or I tried a couple of different religious ceremonies just to see how it would feel. And, and yeah, like it, there's, a I remember uh, one time going to a Lutheran ceremony and they, they ask everybody to come partake of the. I don't know, the bread and the wine, or the wafers, or whatever, and everyone stands up as unison. And I'm like, "Should I? Like, I'm technically baptized, but would they consider I'm baptized?" And then by the time, by the time I was like, like the five, everyone had just had started filing into the line. So I'm like, "Well, now." And I looked around, and I'm literally the only one in the whole fucking building that's not <laughs> lining up for the blessing. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit on a very small scale. What what day was feeling there? And probably. This this stuff like the 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 uh, how do you say that word the vicimilitude, the the real life I think yeah I wonder if that's coming from the you know the the mixed religious heritage of of the guy running the show yeah um, totally good. Um probably a lot of, in the writer writing room there too I didn't pick up on that tension but you're right after you pointed it out I'm like oh yeah there that should be all over the scene. I'm very curious to see what kind of um price the Dimmsel pays for this mm-hmm. or you know what kind yeah, of Yeah, I want to see the because... consequences. Yeah, especially since they really painted Day as very adolescent and childlike uh in in uh, his behavior this that this this episode. Uh, Irish monk says one thing I've noticed in this series is some quite subtle and clever within scene analogs. Most recently in the opening of episode six, brother day asked Demerzel what it's like to be awake during a star or hyper jump. She replies that she cannot tell him because his mind would break because the human mind cannot tolerate the discontinuity. He goes on to ask her to explain her faith in luminism. And she replies that luminism teaches that at any point, an individual has a power to choose their own path. The truth is that this teaching also breaks his mind because to the clone mind, the Cleon dynasty cannot tolerate discontinuity. Uh, Demerzel is prepared to test his mind on issues of faith, but not on issues of science and technology. Perhaps this is because there's more to this process of humans going to sleep during star or hyper jumps and meets the eye. Remember, Gail woke during her trip. Do uh, you have any thoughts on this? Does it give us any clues to Demerzel's strategy or the resentment of AIs for being eradicated by the Empire? Um. I don't know about the latter thing. It is interesting that you hinted on the fact that she's not willing to it, it remind that scene reminded me so much of uh, Spock and McCoy in the whale, the whale movie of Star Trek, where McCoy sidles up to, to Spock and he wants to ask him. It's like, you know, what was death like? What's it like? And and Spock's like, well, to have a discussion, we have to have a common frame of reference. He's like, are you saying that I have to die <laughs> to hear your thoughts on death and spock's like yeah it makes perfect sense um but but yeah the whole individuality is something that he it's not true that for this individual she's talking about that he has the opportunity to do whatever he wants or to make a decision um outside of his station right oh
1: sure yeah, um, I mean, I think he would have the agency if he chose to exert it, but that's not the path um, that he's on. And the other thing about it is I I think this is just a foreshadowing or a setup for when she bows later to the religion, right? This is the question, it, where do her loyalties lie, really? Do they lie with Luminism or do they lie with uh, the Empire? And the Empire is the thing that's on the path that's un, unmovable, unchangeable. And then you've got this religion where um, you, you need to be that. So I I think that's
0: what they're doing there. I don't know that I would go beyond that, but maybe. Maybe she is trying to teach to get him to Mike, because we've all thought that maybe. she is not really serving the Empire the way I think the Empire would understood, would understand serving him it to be you know, like she's got some kind of ulterior motive. So maybe she I is trying to, get him to take some some kind of drastic individual action. And she's like, this is, but she's got to pick her, she's got to pick her moment, you know, like she gets too close to the source. There's too much, uh, I don't know of the original. That's, that's where this clone stuff starts breaking down, which we'll get into later in the feedback, but
1: Okay.
0: well, says, I was thinking along the lines when Aaron was talking about the genetic drift of the Cleon clones. Is it known that they have taken genetic material from Cleon to Uno, or is it something brother dust does before ascending to brother darkness? Because that seems more likely. Why, as the line continues, they seem to get less impressive. You have the copy of a copy effect. I I think we talked about this that we don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, it is interesting that they keep apparently the body of Cleon the first in perfect stasis. Mm-hmm. That maybe, I mean, that seems like it'd be the smart thing to do is to always you know sample from the original.
1: Yeah, imagine but uh, how much genetic material there is there. <laughs> I mean the the number of generations would just be infinite
0: yeah and i I, that's the thing because like you know when i grew up that was a common thing of cloning like i there's like two different star trek the next generation episodes revolving around a society of clones that needed Mm -hmm. to steal children from the enterprise or uh steal riker and crusher's genetic material because they were just getting that copy of a copy of a copy effect where they're they're starting to Kind of like uh, inbreeding in the royal families, Mm -hmm. you start getting the massive overbites and the madness of King George and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if that's scientific uh, or if that's scientism. Like if that's like, you know, like it it sounds good for a Star Trek episode or if that's because like if you make a clone like this isn't Jurassic Park where it's like, well, we have, I don't know, 99 percent of a Tyrannosaurus and we're going to plug the missing stuff with fuck it. Frog DNA. Mm-hmm. Like, you got the whole sequence. Like, right. it, 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 does, do the copies of that go wrong? Like, when they're making copies of Dolly the Sheep when I were growing up, or every uh, generation of Dolly got dumber and dumber? Like, <laughs> the sheep, how the fuck would you know?
1: Right. No, I, I think that would be de- come down to your process, right? Not the material yeah. itself. Uh, the material should, true. unless there are mutations that happen over the course of time, You y- you would always have the same genetic material. It's identical. That's what cloning is.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's like if you when you copy, it's like when you copy an MP3 from one space to right. another, you don't run the risk of the file corrupting. I mean, I guess oh, you do. God, my MNM track turned into Eye Joe. Shit again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> what kind of drift is this? Yeah. <laughs> now, if you if you reencode it, something could go wrong. And you know, if you're, I guess, a f- physical flaw in the medium happens, but like, yeah, if you make a copy, that's why. I, that's why I fucking. Everybody's so pissed off when they started doing it. It's like, well, this is just exactly it's like, yeah, this is exactly the same thing you're buying, except for free. So mm-hmm. we'll have to see. We'll have to see how the cloning technology works out. Tommy was well, Seldon's claim to Raish that if he and Gail stay together, the plan falls apart in unforced error. Harry made it very clear that he can't predict things at an individual level, so how can he make claims about Raish and Gale? One of my friends that is a book reader highlights that point as one of the many reasons the show is turning them off since it's putting Harry in a prediction, a position of predicting and an accounting for an individual in his plan. As a book reader myself, I'm trying not to bring too many expectations into the show since it's clearly a very different story, but I couldn't really argue against it seeming like an error. Do you think this is, in fact, an error by the show or something we don't understand yet? Well, I think, like, uh, take a step back from the individuals here
1: and look at the roles of the people involved, right? Um, Harry's saying to Raish, like, "Look, I, I can't kill myself. This can't be a suicide, right? This Mm -hmm. has to be a murder by someone who escapes." That's all he's saying. He's not saying that it has to be Gale. He's not saying that it has to be Raish. It just needs to be I was murdered, and that person was not found.
0: And. This is so. This is this, these are like the border issues between what we're talking about in the, the inception conception. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he can't predict, he couldn't predict that Gale and Rache would be together, but he can see what effect that has on the foundation and predict that if they stay together, there is no seemingly the probabilities of success for the foundation plummet to almost nothing. So, like, he can't predict what Rache and gale will do but he can't predict what a suitably large number of a population will react uh to that and i i even had that question in the first episode like is the foundation because clearly that's what they're doing running these simulations they're trying to like you know maybe that's the thing they get such a a huge sample size of behavior from a relatively small uh population maybe they can but like i i had that question of like is there enough people on this fucking ship that you can make a useful prediction about what's going to happen on terminus Mm -hmm. you know um. So, there are, this is kind of like the gray area between, he's not predicting the in, action of an in, individual, but he's saying what this variable will do to this other larger population. And, right. you know, if that's putting you off because you're a strict book reader, then, I mean, fair enough. But, like, also, there's so many things up in the air. The fact that this isn't, strictly speaking, Harry's plan anymore. Raish went and fucked it up, or I guess mm-hmm. Gail did because. She had precognition that something was wrong and went and spoiled the murder, the murder suicide, right? So like, yeah, yeah. There's we're already like several kind of pages off of the books, and they're clearly doing something that's related. And it might, you know, this is something that I thought the double Ds did very well in the first few seasons of the Game of Thrones, where like in the middle of the season, I'm like, fuck, this is so much different from the books. I don't know, but like they don't have to directly adhere to every book, right? They just have to get the shape of the world close enough that when they wrap up this season, that it will mesh with the ongoing story. Mm -hmm. You know, so like one of the things that Double D's did is like no matter what, at the end of every season, everything kind of collapsed back into a shape of like, oh, I see this guy's doing this thing. And this is going to be the one that does this in the books. And like, I can see how this, you know, Game of Thrones is going to hand off to a clash of kings or whatever for next season. And they could be doing that where it's like there's lots of different things. Yeah. But, you know, when you finally open up the vault and you see what's in it, oh, this is going to connect to the next sequence of the foundation. I, I see that now. I can't see that now. Right. Right. Strictly speaking, where we're standing from. Sure. Uh, let's move on to Dan. Uh, wait a second. Yeah. Let's move on to Dan. It says East Asians compromise or comprise <laughs> compromise. They comprise approximately one quarter of the earth's present population, which tracks with historical estimates going back for thousands of years. That percent is roughly on par with South Asian and European percentiles. So my question is where are all the East Asians in the galactic empire? I'm mainly concerned with accuracy concerning the portions of our phenotypes out in our species. Um, I think so this is something that came up on the uh, AMA that Goyer did on Reddit that like clearly I think Goyer and the, the whole the uh, studio here is trying to represent a galactic universe that closely resembles the current makeup of earth. Like it's not just all white folk and that, mm-hmm. right. Um, but I heard that one of the challenges they had is that in the places they were filming uh, during COVID, getting people across the borders, they had lots of, um, of certain types of, of phenotypes, as you say, that were at their fingertips, at uh, casting calls and things. And some were harder to get. And I guess East Asians were one of the ones that's like, you know, you had to move people around mm-hmm. across borders that were closed. And that's why there's still, I mean, uh, the one lady who had zygote harvesting hesitancy uh-huh. uh, was East Asian. I think there's just there's been at least one more on Terminus. Um, but I, that's, according to Goyer, that's one of the reasons they were so underrepresented represented because they, they couldn't quite get the diverse mix that they wanted and uh you know we'll see if that if that uh, gets ameliorated that gets tweaked going going in seasons uh four because i said clearly i feel like that they want to have that i mean if you look at the cast and the makeup of it it is it is pretty diverse um okay uh i have one more question and it's more on the kind of like book future spoilers kind of like an add-on to our conversation that jim and i had at the end of last week or of this week's episode the spoiler edition of it so if you don't want any kind of like book kind of topics, you don't want that to taint uh, your enjoyment of the show. I very much encourage you to turn off the podcast now. You can send in feedback to foundation at baldmove.com. dot com. Um, we appreciate everybody's questions uh, and uh, we look forward to having you back for the seventh episode. That's going to be dropping again this Friday. Same time the Apple releases it. Uh, we will try to get it out uh, at the scheduled time. But they they uh, <laughs> they got it out a couple of uh, hours earlier right this, this yeah i week. drop it when i
1: notice the episode has come out on thursday night because they never yeah. wait until friday at 3 a.m
0: yeah they give us an embargo date that's mm-hmm. always several hours after the episode eventually gets out so anyway just be looking at boldmove.com. subscribe to foundation of podcast bald move pulp however you want to get it in your favorite podcast app uh or also uh youtube.com slash bald move uh we're also putting video versions of our podcasts up there all right once again, foundation of com. I think everyone's had enough time to exit the building if that's what they want to do. So let's talk about Joel. Joel corrects me because I've been saying there's this character of the mule and these people that have, like, I've broadly referred to it as psychic powers, future telling powers. And I've gotten this subtle, uh, uh, I've gotten this wrong, my recollections of this. Hmm. Says the mule didn't have the ability to see in the future. What they did have is the ability to manipulate the emotions of other humans described as the ability to essentially twist an emotional dial and let it and have it set at a different direction. That's what gave him the power to start conquering the foundation. Sometimes with little to no opposition. Okay. So this is the, I thought that this guy had precog or psychic powers. Um, They were more of a telepath. He could read minds and he could uh, affect people's, he's an empath, uh, affect their emotions. And that's something that the psychohistory could not pr- account for. The fact that people could have their base desires in mass fucked with and manipulated. Um, and the third book is a largely about how do you account for and how could a man like Carrie account for the unaccountable, the knowing the unknowable. Um, so so going to be like a combination of what Gail
1: experienced with the, the jump with her, You know, consciousness slipping in time, and a combination of the mule's powers manifesting in Harden. It's
0: possible
1: because what she's described about like she wants to to kill them all, like that anger and stuff. That is very much like sensing the
0: emotions of a character. True, and and that also kind of fits into her intuitive sense of what uh, Farah went through rather than just like she's literally reading her mind and she's like seeing things and how they emotionally resonate and things like that so maybe it's also possible that they're just going to change the mule to update it to like you know we live in a world that has tons and tons and tons of psychic stories and mind manipulation and you know uh, that, that, that we're he's just going to change it to where it's a little bit like that because empath changing people's emotions, like I'm trying to think of like how many things I've seen of that in fiction. It's a little bit more of a, you know, like, like this is a pre X-Men concept of how mind powers would work. <laughs> this is like mm-hmm. something that would be came up with. um And there's, there's, there's other things that have come. I just like, you know, they're not using atomics and fusion drive. Yeah. They're used, they're, they're using black hole fucking technology. It's been updated. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, but on the other end, that just might me trying to be right, even though I've been wrong. So <laughs> I was going to say it's even if they don't do that, it's still pretty interesting, right? It's just it's yeah. a limitation
1: on the power that could be even more interesting than just having straight up mind control or the
0: ability to read people's memories or thoughts. It's a lot more subtle. It's a lot more subtle yeah. um, how that would interface. So, I, yeah, I just wanted to make sure I got that click. Because like, again, this was something I was. Trying to remember, it's, it's stuff I have from like twenty plus, twenty five, thirty year old memories of reading these books and right. uh, what they're doing, which seems very much like a pre, some kind of precognition. So I, I got those overwritten. Um, but yeah, like I said, I, I think there's room for both of that to be true too, because like like Jim pointed out, what uh, Salvor is doing feels a very, very much empathetic, you know, yeah. channeling other people's emotions, and maybe that's why that uh, she's always been seen as off, even though they didn't know. true bizarre powers that like, you know, that just like someone that's that in tune is uncanny and off putting. Or imagine if you had the ability to affect other people's emotions,
1: but you didn't know it. Like, what would you be projecting? Right? Like how, how would that mess with the people around you? And they'd feel weird when they were around you. I, well, I don't like her because she makes me feel weird.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 So anyway, I appreciate the clarification, Joel, a couple people sent this in, but uh, Joel is the first one. So I went with their email uh once again foundation of baldmove.com is how you send us your thoughts uh we will be back with another episode next week and of course we'll have full coverage of episode seven as soon as apple tv plus deans danes to drop it in our uh in our tv polls so (laughs) that's it that's it that's it for uh, foundation of podcasts thanks for all the emails thanks for the support we'll see you next week until then i'm aaron and i'm jim later